Jesus, thank you for being here right now, God. This is where we want to be. It's where you're at, Lord. We want to know you. And you know what, God? We want to know your word, Lord. We want to understand it. As we study, Lord, we, we ask that you would reveal to us, God, the truths and principles and, and, and really reveal yourself to us today, Jesus Christ, that we may get to know you better, that we may understand you, that we would take a glimpse, Lord, into the incredible attributes of our God, our Lord, and our Savior, you, Jesus Christ. So I ask God for your Holy Spirit to to illumine our minds, to, to open up our minds to the truth here, and that your Spirit would open our eyes up to who you are, and may that bring us comfort. May that bring us encouragement. May that bring us healing and freedom, Lord. God, we just want to know you more and more and know you in a deeper way. So I ask for your spirit to anoint this time and bless this, Lord. Bless your word today. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I found something interesting. Uh, before there was ever any internet news, you know, or or uh, getting your news on your phone or through your apps or Apple News or whatever that is. Before that, there was a time when, guess what, newspapers, right, were the main source of our information and news. But I found something is interesting that in with the newspapers, when they printed their headlines, you know, how on the front page was their main story, their headlines and all, well, when it came to some really, really big news, like a super big announcement, the, the newspapers would, would use this style of the largest font possible. Uh, it was a font that was bold and big and literally jumps off the page and grabs your attention. And so they would call this special typeset they would actually call this the second coming type how do you like that i thought that was interesting it, it was used to announce big events like the bombing of pearl harbor or the the assassination of john f kennedy or even 9 11 when uh, the terrorists attacked there uh in new york uh that was the second uh coming type that they would use and I was thinking, well, why not just call it the big news type or maybe the major event type or you can't believe it type that they would use? Why would they, they call it that? Well, you know what? It's because there is no bigger event than the second coming of Jesus Christ. And that's actually our title of our study this morning. We have come to the point in the book of Re Revelation where Jesus Christ returns. This is his second coming. This is huge. Everything is building up to this point. This is the peak here of the book of Revelation. After this, of course, is the millennium and the new heaven and earth, and we'll get into that. But everything here in the tribulation has been building up to this point at the end of the seven years when Jesus Christ returns. And that will be the biggest event in all of history, in all of history. I mean, of course, his first coming was huge too. And here it is a, a great event because things are going to change from here on. The second coming of Jesus Christ. Now, 
We're coming into this last part of chapter 19, but we're only going to look at half of this. And today we're going to be studying verse 11 through 16 in the second coming of Jesus Christ. And now this is only part one. Next week will be part two. But let me give you this overall outline now of this whole rest of this chapter from 11 to the end. Our outline is this. Number one, the appearance of the king. Number two, the assembly of the birds. And number three, the arrival of Armageddon. And now number two and three in our outline, we'll get to that next Sunday. But today we're just going to sit on number one in our outline, the appearance of the king. We're going to kind of hover over this. And in this section from verse 11 through 16 this morning in our part one of the second coming of Christ. So today we're just going to cover this first heading in our outline, the appearance of the king. But with that, we're going to see 10 ways that John writes about our king. You might be saying, whoa, Pastor Rick, 10, usually it's 3. I know, I only could count up to 3, too. But <laughs> uh, we're going to get into this more in, a, in depth, and we're going to see Jesus in 10 different ways. Now, I'm going to give this to you right away, but as we go, I will also give it to you again. But, but let me give you the, the 10 ways we're going to see Jesus. In this appearance of the king, number one, we're going to see the king comes to conquer. Number two, the king rides in righteousness. Number three, the king holds all authority. Number four, the king arrives from victory. Number five, the king is the Lord God. And then the uh, five more, number six, the king arrives with his army. The king speaks with all power. The king rules with justice. The king brings the judgment. And number 10, the king is the king and Lord of all. I know that's a lot I'm throwing at you. Again, we're going to take this one by one. But isn't this great? This is Jesus. This is our Lord. This is a description and what John sees of who he is. His attributes. And as he comes and returns on the earth, it speaks to us of how he comes, why he comes, and what he's doing when he comes. So let's dive into this now. So number one in our outline, and that's all we're going to see, is the appearance of the king. The appearance of, of the king. Now take a look at verse 11, first of all. Verse 11 here. It says, Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. Now we begin here with John continuing to write. Remember, John the Apostle has been given this vision. He's, he's been banished to that little island of Patmos, right? They tried to kill him. Tradition says they tried to boil him in oil. He didn't die. Good thing because God gave him this vision. He was able to write this book in our Bibles, the book of Revelation. And so John now continues to write on what he saw. And, and last week, remember, he saw this whole celebration of all time. That was our title in heaven, right? And this was the, the pre-celebration of Jesus returning. And so we got excited for that. Well, now we come to this. In verse 11, John says, Then, after all that celebration, I saw heaven open now i picture it was like this huge door being swung open 
And John says, behold, a white horse. Now, this is a white horse. And this is Jesus sitting on the horse. And we, and we see that in a, a moment. Sitting on it, the horse is called Faith and True. And we're going to get into that in a moment. But here's this white horse. But the focus isn't on a white horse, but it's on Jesus who's sitting on that horse. Now, notice something here. Jesus isn't sitting on some young donkey, right? Uh, if you're with us on Wednesday, you saw that uh, we studied the triumphal entry when Jesus entered Jerusalem, officially entered as the Messiah on the last week of his death when he entered Jerusalem for Passover, he rode a donkey, right? Because he came humbly because he came to Jerusalem to end up dying for our sins. But here it's different. Here he is sitting on a white horse. Now in ancient times, say the, the general of the Roman army would come into town and parade, lead the parade of his victory on a white horse, not a donkey. So the steed, the stallion, the horse was a symbol really of, of, of victory, of a, of a general who had conquered. So when Jesus appears here in the second coming, he comes as the Messiah King. He comes in victory. He comes to go out into battle and conquer his enemy. So that's the picture that we see here. So number one in these ten things about Jesus is the King comes to conquer. The King comes to conquer. Think about this too. Throughout Revelation, we've seen Jesus portrayed in heaven as the Lamb, right? You remember we've seen that a lot. The Lamb, and He's portrayed in that way because He is the Lamb of God who sacrificed Himself for our sins. But here, He's coming out as this general, really this King coming out to conquer His enemies. The first coming brought forgiveness, right? But you know what? The second coming brings judgment upon the world. The first coming, Jesus came and served in humbleness as he laid his life down for our sins. But the second coming, he comes as king in all of his glory. Can you imagine this now? Jesus on a white horse. And this is Jesus, right? So he's, 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 he's shining as king in all of heaven's glory as, as the door opens. Think about this. Imagine this. Remember the, in the last uh, uh, judgment, the pouring out of, of the bowls. Remember that? How this darkness came over the earth. How the sun burnt out, I believe. How, how God brought darkness upon Babylon and it spread out, right? Through all this, the cities. The earth went dark and there's that big earthquake and all. I, I could picture all electricity out. No more bright lights in, in, in the cities and all. And, and the whole earth is dark. Uh, the city's been destroyed by earthquakes and no more bright lights. And then everyone feels that judgment of God coming in that darkness. It's not just dark, but you can feel this heaviness. Then suddenly... This giant door from heaven opens. The sky opens up and the glory light of heaven shines through. Can you imagine that? This bright light. And then out pops out Jesus on this white horse in all of his glory. And that glory illuminates the dark world. It, it shines out into this dark world. It shines out all over into the darkness, penetrates the darkness, you can say. 
And here's Jesus sitting there on this white horse and everyone can see him. This this is the grand entrance, right? This is like, whoa, after all that's happened. No wonder in Revelation chapter 1, verse 7, if you remember, it says, Behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him. Even those who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I, I think, yes, every eye will see him. This, this will be penetrating. Out of the darkness comes Jesus. Or Matthew chapter 24, verse 30, the second part says, And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. That's the light shining out. That's the glory shining out. So I want to paint that picture for you. Here's Jesus appearing on the scene. And this is it. This is the second coming of Christ. And he comes as the king to conquer. The king comes to conquer. And remember that. Remember that, folks. Remember, Jesus is your conqueror. He's your conqueror. We don't have the power. You may feel like, oh, I'm, I'm, so, I'm, I'm so defeated, right? I, I can't do anything. But remember, Jesus does, and Jesus is your conqueror. All right, so we see, first of all, the king comes to conquer. Well, number two, the king rides in righteousness. The king rides in righteousness. Look at, that, at the second part of verse 11 now. It says here, the one sitting on it is called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. Now, Jesus, the one who is sitting on this white horse, he is called faithful and true. This is one of three names of Jesus we're going to see. There's going to be a lot of descriptions, and that's what we're going over. But if you want to get technical, this is one of the names that he is called. And he is called faithful and true. In other words, Jesus is trustworthy. He's faithful. Jesus is true in that he's true to his word, what he says he does. He will keep his word. He is not deceitful. He, is, he, he, he doesn't manipulate you. He, he's not false about his motives. He's trustworthy. He's true. He keeps his word. That's what it's talking about here with this name. Now think about this. This is in direct contrast in what we've seen in the last chapters. What we've seen about the Antichrist. What we've seen about Satan's man and Satan himself and Satan's plan. What we've seen about the world religions and then the, all that turning into the worship of the Antichrist. What we've seen about, about the economy, the world economy and seducing people into worshiping money and materialism right rather than God himself drawing people away that's Satan because he seduces the world to away from God and he promises things that aren't true that will not come to pass oh he does all that to scam you to get you to worship him to give your life to him well in contrast to that Jesus is faithful and true and he comes out here in verse 11 in righteousness yeah He's coming as God in righteousness. He can, he can do no wrong. He does things right. And so in righteousness, he judges and makes war. He comes and he brings the judgment. He's fair and correct in how he judges without doing 
any wrong. He wages a righteous war, you can say. He's coming to end all evil and wickedness. At this time in the tribulation, when Jesus appears, the world is at its peak in sin and hardness before God. And so God is righteous in that he has to bring judgment on their sins. So Jesus appears in all righteousness. He rides in righteousness and not only comes as a judge, think about this, he comes as the executioner. In Matthew 16, 27, it says, For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. That's Jesus. This is his second coming. He comes judging the world in his second coming. How about this thought? When Jesus came the first time, the wicked world judged him, right? Pilate. Herod, the Pharisees, right? They judge him and condemn him. But when Jesus returns, when he comes a second time, he will judge all wicked people in the world. So one day, understand this, when Jesus appears, one day God's long suffering will run its course and judgment will come and fall because as we know in like Genesis 6, God will not strive with man forever. So understand this. Do not test, do not try God's patience. One day, it's going to run its course. And one day, judgment will come. All right, let's go to number three now. The king holds all authority. The king holds all authority. Verse 12 now. Verse 12. It says here, his eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. Now, John describes Jesus here as having eyes like a flame of fire. We've seen that in Revelation chapter 1, verse 14. He can see through our hearts, into our hearts, and into our minds. He can, he can see everything about us. Everything is exposed and open, naked and open before him. Hebrews 4, 13. In other words, Jesus comes with this authority because he can see everything. He's righteous. He can judge uh, correctly. But Jesus, as he judges, he sees all things. He cannot misjudge, right? He cannot say, oh, I didn't know about that. That's not Jesus. He has eyes of flame of fire. He sees everything. And on top of that, on his head are many diadems. Now this word here, it speaks of a ruler's crown, a kingly crown. Uh, not Stephanos, the, the, um, the crown of, of victory, like, like when you win a contest or an Olympic medal. That's been used before. But this is a kingly crown in the original language. And guess what? In ancient times, the kings, the conquering king, would take the crowns of the kings they had defeated and conquered and put it on their head. So this is the picture. Here's Jesus. He, he's, he's the king. He's the conqueror. And now he holds all authority. Jesus appears as a king who will conquer all other rulers and hold all authority over the whole earth. So he appears now. He comes with uh, many diadems. John MacArthur wrote this, The many crowns Christ will wear are indeed 
a fair exchange for a crown of thorns. I like that thought. Yeah, He once wore a crown of thorns to die for our sins. But now he comes back as king. You know, I was thinking about sometimes we talk about how how the world, uh, what the world would be like, say, if uh, the right person was in government. Yeah. The right person was in authority. And we think, oh, that will be great. And, but think about this. When Jesus returns, he will set up a rule like never before. And he will be the right one. And he will reign in all authority forever and ever and ever. Amen. Let's go to number four now. The king is the Lord God. The king is the Lord God. Now the second part of verse 12 says, And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. So John notices something. John notices on Jesus, whether it's on him himself, or maybe it's on the crowns he was just talking about. But either way, there's written a name that no one knows except for Jesus. Jesus is the only one who knows. Now, I was thinking, what is that? Is this maybe some different language? I don't know. Maybe it's something John doesn't recognize and no one knows, so it's not written in any language ever, you know, at all or ever been spoken. I think no one knows this. And why is that? Because it is so deep and incredible that there's no translation in any language that can do justice to describe who Jesus is. I think that's why. So Jesus appears with a name that is indescribable. Because, you know why? Because he's God. Because he is the Lord God. And the Lord God is really indescribable. Now, in the Bible, we find names of Jesus. We, we do. And it helps us understand who he is, his character, what he does, how he works in our life. I mean, we find names assigned to Jesus like Jesus is light, Jesus is master, Jesus is the Messiah, Jesus is the king of Israel. Uh, names like the Son of Man, the Lamb of God, the Prince of Peace, Alpha and Omega, right? The first and the last. He, Jesus is the Almighty. Or how about Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. Or like Jesus is called the bread of life, our chief shepherd or, or the chief a cornerstone, or he's our deliverer, the Holy One. How about Jesus being called the Lion of the tribe of Judah? Rawr, right? Or the Morning Star. Jesus is our rock. I mean, this is just some of them that we find here in the Bible itself. And even here in our passage, we see that name. Remember, technically, officially, is called Faithful and True. In verse 13, he's going to be called the Word of God. And we'll get to that. In verse 16, he is called the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And we'll get to that too. He has these names. Yet, here's a name that no one understands. You know why? Because even if you take all the names of the Bible and even the three main names that are, are put forth here in our passage this morning, even if you put it all together, all the names, all the district descriptions together, they cannot contain who Jesus Christ is because He's the Lord. He's the Lord God. He is God. That's why. He cannot be totally, completely described in word pictures or, 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 or explained with analogies or anything at all. 
He it doesn't adequately fully explain who God is, and that's why he wears this name that no one knows what it is. Jesus is the Lord God. I mean, how else can you interpret that? How else can you see that? That this is God coming to earth, right? Once again. I think of this whenever I... Um, um, I was thinking of this whenever I, I think about this. Uh, I think about the old worship song by Chris Tomlin called Indescribable. You guys remember that one? We have it on a radio station once in a while. But the lyrics are indescribable, uncontainable. You place the stars in the sky and you know them by name. You are amazing God. All powerful, untamable, all struck, we fall to our knees as we humbly proclaim, You are amazing, God. So when we talk about and we say, God, you are amazing, that's what we're saying. He is amazing. We, words cannot describe and totally, fully describe who Jesus is because Jesus is the Lord God. If we could plumb the depths of everything, that is about God and know everything that is to know about God, you know what? Really, he wouldn't be God, right? He wouldn't be God. And I think that's the danger of making uh, God out to be who you want him to be. It really ends up being idolatry, you guys. Idolatry. But it's better to see God as someone that we cannot fully understand. That keeps him as God. That keeps him as the one we worship. That keeps him there greater than us. And that means he's greater than any and all of our troubles. So understand that. When we say he's indescribable, un uncontainable, when we say he's amazing, you know what? We're saying God we believe in you. I believe in you. And you are greater than anything I face here. You are greater than my troubles today and tomorrow. You are greater than my worries. You are greater than Satan himself. So, let me, let, don't come up to me. Let me say this. Don't come up to me after the service and say, so Pastor Rick, what do you think that name is? Don't say that, right? Because <laughs> I'm going to tell you, I don't know what says here. Nobody knows. <laughs> Understand that. All right, so number one, the king comes to conquer. The king rides in righteousness. Number three, the king holds all authority. Number four, the king is the Lord God. And number five, the king arrives in, uh, I'm sorry, from victory. The king arrives from victory victory and and from is important to me i put that word in there uh on purpose so look at verse 13 it says he is called or he is clothed in a robe dipped in blood and the name by which he is called is the word of god now next john writes that jesus is clothed in a robe dipped in blood and i know that sounds kind of strange uh, but let's try and take a look at this. There's uh, actually two views on this. What is this? What's going on? The first view is that this speaks of, of, of the blood that 
of, of Christ's enemies. That it's the blood he shed when he, as he comes to destroy his enemies here in this judgment, in the second coming. So basically the blood, his, his the robe being dipped in blood, it represents, it speaks of judgment that is going to come upon the world in this battle of Armageddon and everyone's going to get wiped out. That, that is the blood. So that's, that's one view as he riding out here in judgment in his second coming. A second view is this, that it speaks of the blood that he shed on the cross. When Jesus, and I like to think of it that way actually, that when Jesus fought sin and death and won. So for me, and you can study this, and, and I'm not saying this is it exactly, but for me, it, I... I for me, I, I think of it this way because of when it says the word of God, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But I, I feel like Jesus is arriving on the scene from victory. He already won when he died and rose again. When he died on the cross and rose again from the dead. So for me, Jesus appears as victor over sin and death already. And now you know what? He comes, guess what? To take back the earth. That's how I see it. I mean, part of the judgment in the battle of Armageddon and to, to wipe out the Antichrist, the false prophet, all the guys and the enemies of the world, bring judgment on the world, is for him to take back the, the earth and then he's going to rule and reign on the earth in the millennium. And so I see it that way. Remember, all this started out way back in Revelation chapter 5. Verse 9. Remember, uh, in heaven, everyone in heaven was singing a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Remember, we talked about that back then in Revelation 5 that the, the seal, right? That um, the, the seals, the opening of the seals, there was this scroll, right? No one can open. And John's weeping. Who can open? Who can? And why were they weeping? Well, that was, uh, we believe, is the title deed to the earth. Who can redeem the whole world? Who is it? And, and, and John was weeping. And then, who came for it? Jesus Christ. Why? Because he died on the cross. He paid for our sins. He rose again from the dead. He conquered sin and death. And so he was worthy to break the seven seals that brought those judgments. And remember, these judgments were the process, the escrow of taking the earth back. This was the process. So remember the, the scroll with the seven seals? Uh, that opened up. Judgments came out. Different events came out. Out of the seventh seal came the seven trumpets, right? Uh, judgments, things happen. Events happen. Out of the seventh trumpet came the seven bold judgments. And all the judgments came. So this was all this process. The bold judgments are, were done in chapter 16. We're in a pause between 17, 17 and 18, learning about world religions and the uh, Babylon's commercial empire and all. And now we're in 17 and Jesus is coming. So he appears now, for me, he arrives from victory. He appears to take back the earth. Remember this today, that Jesus has already won, that he is the worthy one, that in our spiritual battles against our own sinful flesh, the world and Satan, we don't fight for victory, but we fight what? From victory. 
Jesus died and rose again from the dead. He's already won. And when he returns, he's going to just finish the job. Take back the earth. Take back which was lost, right? Back when man first sinned. And then look at verse 13. Now, this is another reason I feel this. It says, um, is, uh, well, he, he is clothed in a robe of different blood, and the name by which he is called is the word of God. Here's the second name. Remember, the first name was faithful and true. And here's the second name we see here, the word of God. Uh, the word is logos. Jesus is the logos. He's, he's the final word of God. He's, he's the voice of God. He's the revealer of God's truth and principle. He's, he is God. God's come, right? Jesus is God who's come in the flesh. And that's why John 1 talked about that. Right? He personified God. Remember um, over in, in John chapter 1, and I'll read this to you. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. This is speaking about Jesus, right? He's speaking about Jesus. And then in verse 14 of John 1, it says, And the Word this is Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of, full of grace and truth. So just the fact that Jesus is called and named the Word of God, it speaks of not only is he God, not only what he says is of God, because it's God speaking, but it speaks of how Jesus came to this earth and personified God, that we saw him walking this earth as a human being among us. He is the Word of God. So that's what that phrase really talks about. So that's why I feel the, the robe dipped right in the blood really speaks about the cross and His victory here. there. So Jesus appears, really, think about this. As He appears now on this white horse, Jesus appears as the same Jesus who came the first time this is the same Jesus who is returning. And so Jesus arrives from the victory of the cross to now take back the earth. This is the same one, the same Jesus. You know, years ago, I remember listening to a missionary to France, and he was sharing how he, when he went over there, and, and he was actually born there, uh, came to America, got saved, and went back as a missionary. And when he went back, he was shocked to find out that as he sh shared the gospel, that people over there did not realize that the baby born in the man manger was the same person who died on the cross and rose again. Isn't that crazy? I mean, we live here in a society in America where, oh, we, we've learned that, you know. We, most of us grew up understanding that. But in Europe, yeah, the gospel, the knowledge of God and Jesus is it's getting so dark there that it, those things aren't prevalent. And people don't understand that. I think here, we, it's something else that some don't realize, that the same one who was born a baby, who died on the cross, is the same one who's going to return one day as the king. He came to die for us and rise again. He was victorious over sin. He was victorious over death and his resurrection. 
And now he comes from victory to take back the earth. This is the Jesus, you guys, that we love. This is the Jesus who loves us. This is the Jesus who reached out to us. And this is the Jesus who will return again and set up his kingdom on the earth. Well, number six here is the king uh, leads his army. The king leads his army. Look at verse 14 now. The armies of the and the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. Well, when the door of heaven opened up, not only did Jesus appear, and not only was he on this horse, and then he began to move out to come down into what we're going to see next week. As he appears, this is his second coming. You know who is behind him? The armies of heaven. The armies were following Jesus out into the earth. Now, notice this is armies. I was keen in on that because there's some uh, groups of people there that are part of the armies. And first of all, um, uh, uh, it's an army of angels. I believe it's angels coming too. We already read, I quoted to you Matthew 16, 27. It says, For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels. Yeah, with his angels. But there's a second group of soldiers, so to speak. And that is, you know what? Believers. Yes, believers. It's you and I, you guys. Believers. All the saints throughout History will be coming. Um, um, we can get into a whole study about this, but let me just say, it's believers that are going to be part of Jesus' army. And that's why I believe it's, it's mentioned here, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure. Yeah, White and pure. I think it's re- in reference to what we studied right back in verse 8 about uh, believers, uh, uh, the Lamb, uh, the Bride of Christ, right? Uh, being dressed in that same description. And, and then look at this. Or, or wait, Jude 14 says, Behold, the Lord comes with uh, thousands, ten thousands of his saints. Jude 14. So we're going to be with them, returning with Christ. There's a couple other scriptures that refer to that. So believers are going to be coming. And, and think about this too. This is in contrast of the hordes of demons that were let out already on the earth during the tribulation. Yeah. And, and, and so it's not just Jesus, but he's bringing us with him, his armies, his people, to defeat them all. And notice something here at the end of verse 14. Following him on what? White horses. Now, I think that the angels aren't on horses because they can fly. Yeah. And we've seen them flying and, and traveling from earth. Maybe they're riding a horse when they're traveling from earth and back and everything in the book of tribulation. But I kind of tend to think that we are the one on the white horses too. And with that, I have to admit to you something. I am scared of horses. I don't like horses. I mean, some of you are horse lovers, and, 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 and I really respect you because I'm really fearful. I don't want to get near that thing. The thing is bigger than me. 
he can stomp my head, you know. And and so I am I am scary, but I believe the white horses they're gonna be nice horses, and I won't be scared at all. But isn't that great? We get to return on these horses. So when Jesus appears, he will be leading his army of angels and saints, and that includes you and I. And I think there's something that we don't see here that should speak to us. Take note, there's no weapon in in the hands of the army. Um, We're just riding these white horses because you know what? In the end, the Lord does all the battle. And we're going to see that next time. The battle is going to be on Jesus. We're just, hey, we're just there for the show and, and of course, supporting him. I think about Samuel 17, 47 says, And that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our land. So be reminded with this, the battle is the Lord's, not yours. Not yours to handle, not yours to to do, but for you to rest upon the Lord and let him take care of it. All right, number seven, the king speaks with power. The king speaks with power. Verse 15, from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And we'll stop there. Now, from Jesus' mouth, um, John describes this sharp sword. And and it's it's more of a symbol analogy. Uh, This sword, the word sword here in original Greek, is not the small small two-edged sword that they use for hand-to-hand combat. But the word sword here is the Greek word romphia. It's that big, broad sword, four or five feet that, you you know, the Romans used with two hands and just swung, you know, really far and and, and great. And uh, with one big swing, you could take down a lot of people. So from his mouth means that's his word is coming out. And this word is powerful, like this powerful big sword. And with this word, he will strike down the nations. And we're going to see that next week. When Jesus appears, he will not conquer, not with like physical might, but you know what? With the spoken word. That's how he's going to conquer. That's how he's going to defeat the nations, defeat the Antichrist, by the words coming out of his mouth. I think about how Genesis 1 says, in the beginning God uh, created the heavens and the earth, right? Elohim, he's a creator, right? And remember, he, it, it, it says there in Genesis, God said, let there be light. And what happened? There was light, right? God said, let there be oceans in the land. And there it was, right? On and on throughout the, the, the whole um, account of creation. Let there be uh, uh, sea animals. Let there be birds. Let, let there be animals. You know, all that. Let there be man. And there was Adam. Yeah? God spoke and it happened. And that's how powerful God's spoken word is. John 1.3 says that all things were made through him, through Jesus And so Jesus is the creator. Jesus is the Elohim. Jesus was there. And so imagine this. When he speaks, he's going to wipe out all the nations just by his word. How powerful is God's word? We know in Hebrews, right, uh, chapter 4 says it's living, active, sharper than any two-edged sword. So may God's word, even as we study this morning, work powerfully in your life. 
May you be freed from your sins. May, may you find healing. May it transform you just by his word. All right, number eight is the king rules with justice. We see here, uh, quickly we'll keep going on. In verse 15 it says, He will rule them with a rod of iron. So it speaks of this rod that will keep the peace, keep justice. That's the idea. He has that he'll rule with true justice. No room for disobedience, not during the millennium. He will be not uh, though will, he will not allow crime, injustice, nothing. You know what? It's going to be like God rules now. God rules now. Totally. When Jesus appears, it means it's going to be a whole new time in the world because God will rule perfectly with justice. So let's continue to be patient because that time is coming soon. Number nine, the king gives out the judgment. The king gives out the judgment. Now we talked about this a little bit more, but it's brought here up again in, in verse 15. It says, He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. So he'll tread the winepress. He'll stamp the grapes down, right, to make the, the wine of the wrath of God. Um, in other words, he's the one bringing the judgment. Well, we already saw this and went into this in Revelation chapter 14. The same analogy of God's judgment is like making grape juice or wine and pouring it out. So when Jesus appears, it means it's time. It's time for the end. Jesus is the one who's bringing the judgment. It's not that he comes and he defeats everyone and someone else comes and brings the judgment. No, Jesus is the one. He's going to battle. He In his battle and, and victory, he's, that's the judgment in their defeat. A minister and writer, Leighton Ford, once said, the reality of God's wrath is as much a part of the biblical message as is God's grace so we got to remember this no one likes to talk about judgment no one likes to bring that up but it's the reality it's the reality of what we see here god is love but one day his long suffering will run out and the judgment has to come because god is righteous because god is holy because he is a god of justice and if he doesn't bring judgment he does not bring justice so again I warn you, deal with your sin now. Deal with the disobedience now. Deal with that now, you guys. The last thing, number 10, is the king is the king and Lord of all. We've seen the king comes to conquer, the king rides in righteousness, the king holds all authority, the king is the Lord God, the king arrives from victory. Number 6, the king leads his armies. Number 7, the king speaks with all power, the king rules with justice, the king gives out the judgment. And number 10, our last thing we finish up with, the king is the king and Lord of all. Verse 16, on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Now, this, which is written on him, we do understand. This, uh, John sees and reads, and he does understand what this is, and this is for us. This is for us to understand. That mention now that Jesus is the King of Kings. There's no other king above him. There's no other ruler above him. He's, he's a king over everyone. He's wearing all the crowns. He has all authority. He is the ruler. He is the king. And he is the Lord of Lords. The Lord there can mean master. 
So he is the Lord. He is our master. He's, there's no master above him. He's the highest in position over everybody on the earth. So when Jesus appears, all will come to understand no one holds a higher position than this king, Jesus Christ. The king is the king and Lord of all. Oh, I think about Philippians 2:10, right? And verse and and verse 11 it says, "So that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father." Amen. Amen. Understand this today. Realize this truth today, and that's important. No wonder the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Today, right now, this is the opportunity. You've got to do this now because who knows what tomorrow will bring. Who knows if you may pass and get in an accident and you die. Today is the day to take opportunity to acknowledge and confess that Jesus is the King of Kings. That Jesus is the Lord of Lords. So understand this today. Jesus is calling out to us. Jesus is showing us today who he is and when he returns as the king in his second coming, that, you know, when that comes, he's coming. He's come and that's judgment. That's, that's it. That's it for the world. Time has run out. So think about this. Today is important because you can bow now or you can bow later. It's better to bow now, yeah, willingly before Christ. But later when he returns, the world will be forced to bow because they're forced to see Jesus face to face as the Lord God. And they will be bowing in fear and in regret, wishing they had given their life to him sooner and bow sooner so you can bow now or you can bow later so today is the day to deal with your sin today is the day to deal with your disobedience today today is the day if you have not accepted christ today is the day to receive christ today today is the time when jesus appears all will see that he is the king of kings and lord of lords and you know, I think we can all say, if, if we really believe this about Jesus Christ, then we know in our hearts yeah, that we need to bow now. And we need to surrender everything to Him. And it's not a fearful thing, it's a willing thing. It's not, it's not something like, all right, all right, kind of thing, force. But it's because we love Him, you know, we know He loves us. And it's because we know He's God. And we just need to give our, our all to Him, our worship, honor, and glory. That's what we see here. And as we end with this last thing that He is King of kings and Lord and lords, what else can we do? I'll close with this. Uh, Queen Victoria who ruled the United Kingdom, Britain, in the 1800s. It is told how after she heard 
some preaching about the second coming of, of Jesus Christ, Queen Victoria remarked, Oh, how I wish that the Lord would come during my lifetime. When asked why she desired this, she replied, Because I would love to lay my crown at his blessed feet in reverent adoration. What a heart. I mean, people don't think like that today, you guys. People are hard-hearted, and I think that's crept into the church too. I think I think uh, people in the church and, and re- real Christians have made made it about themselves, not about our King, our Lord, our Savior, Jesus. So here, we are encouraged to bow to our Jesus now, and to look forward to His coming the second coming of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we are bowed down before you, Lord. Father, we thank you for sending Jesus Christ, your Son, to this earth, God, God in the flesh, to teach us, to show us, to personify who God is and to die on a cross and Rise again from the dead. Jesus, we're so grateful that you have conquered sin and death and and that even Satan cannot defeat you. But you are more powerful. You are all-knowing, God. You are holy and righteous in all of your character, God. You are truly God. And so, Jesus, we bow to you right now. And Lord, as our eyes are closed and as we our hearts are bowed before you, I ask God that you would search our heart and see if there's any wicked way in us, Lord, that we that you may lead us into your way of righteousness, your everlasting life, God. That's what we want, Lord. And as you have been lifted up today by what we have read and studied, what John had written on the pages of our Bible. Oh, Lord, we bow. We seek your forgiveness, God. We surrender our all, and we ask, Lord, that you would take away those idols inside our hearts and lives, that you would sweep away the sin and the habitual things that we do wrong toward you, that you would pull out any rebellious roots and that you would help us to stop being disobedient but to be obedient to your word and to who you are. You are king, you are lord, you are master. 